Chapter 29, A History of California, the American Period, by Robert Glass Cleland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 29, Material Progress. Since the beginning of statehood, less than 75 years ago, the economic progress of California has been so remarkable that one cannot attempt to describe it without seeming to exaggerate. Wonders have become commonplace, and the prophecy of yesterday falls short of the reality of today. According to the federal census, the population of the state in 1850 was 92,597. Ten years later, it had risen to 379,994, and within the next decade reached 560,247. After the census of 1870, the influence of the railroad began to be strongly felt in the immigration of eastern people to California, and the population by 1880 had grown to 864,694. The closing years of the next decade witnessed, especially in Southern California, one of the strangest social phenomena in the history of the state. This was the real estate boom of 1887, or the great boom as it was fittingly called by those who watched its meteoric progress and collapse. The great boom was the result of many factors. From the time of the completion of the Central Pacific Railroad, a consistent campaign had been carried on in the eastern states to induce people to come to the Pacific coast. The ordinary forms of commercial advertising were supplemented by a great variety of books and magazine articles descriptive of California, its climate, and resources. Charles Nordhoff, T.S. Van Dyke, John S. Hiddle, and many others added their contributions to the general publicity the state was receiving. Even such books as Helen Hunt Jackson's Ramona and Robert Louis Stevenson's Silverado Squatters carried the name and fame of California across the mountains and helped to arouse an interest in the state among prospective immigrants. A paragraph from B.F. Taylor's Between the Gates, published in 1878, will illustrate the character of a certain type of these descriptions of California. Quote, Whoever asks where Los Angeles is, to him I shall say, across a desert without wearying, beyond a mountain without climbing, where heights stand away from it, where ocean winds breathe upon it, where the gold-mounted lime hedges border it, where the flowers catch fire with beauty, among the orange groves, beside the olive trees, where the pomegranates wear calyx crowns, where the figs of Smyrna are turning, where the bananas of Honolulu are blossoming, where the chestnuts of Italy are dropping, where Sicilian lemons are ripening, where the almond trees are shining, through that alameda of walnuts and apricots, through this avenue of willows and poplars, in the vineyards six Sabbath days journey across them, in the midst of a garden of thirty-six square miles, there is Los Angeles. Land was still relatively cheap in California, and as irrigation developed and the agricultural possibilities of the state became better known, especially the adaptability of certain favored sections to grapes and fruits, a steady stream of prospective buyers came annually from the east. Real estate companies, boards of trade, and chambers of commerce added their literature and advertisements to the publicity campaign, and by the early 80s the foundations for a boom were well laid. 
the chief obstacle retarding the immigrant movement was the high railroad fares from eastern points to california and it only required a reduction of these to bring about an immediate rush of settlers to the coast the completion of the santa fe railroad in eighteen eighty five effected the desired end in january eighteen eighty six this road withdrew from the transcontinental traffic association and precipitated a rate war with the southern pacific between eastern cities and california at the time this rate cutting began tickets from mississippi valley points to los angeles cost about a hundred and twenty five dollars within a few months this rate had been greatly reduced and as the war went merrily on the railroads almost carried people to california free of charge a five-dollar rate from missouri to los angeles remained in force for three months and at least for one day during the keenest period of competition the fare was actually lowered to a dollar when the period of insanity passed and the railroads ceased their suicidal rivalry rates were restored to something like a normal basis but even so they did not again reach the high levels prevailing before the advent of the santa fe in the meantime the boom was on already interested in california by the attractive reports of its climate and resources prospective settlers and tourists by the hundreds took advantage of the low rates to travel to the coast los angeles and southern california became the center of this immigration of the eighties as san francisco and the gold fields had been the center of the migration from eighteen forty nine to eighteen fifty two with the arrival of the newcomers los angeles real estate began to rise sharply in value the movement at first was orderly enough but soon began to take on the worst features of an unsound and inflated boom before a year had passed the boom had become a financial debauch most of those who took part in the speculative craze were newly arrived from the east but many of the older residents at last caught the fever and either sold their real estate holdings at exorbitant figures or having lost their heads in the contagion competed with the so-called greenhorn purchasers from the east for an opportunity to lose their money as well those responsible for the worst features of the boom however were outlanders from the middle west professional boomers as they were otherwise called who learning of the increasing interest in california real estate flocked into los angeles by the score and resorted to every conceivable device to inflate prices and stimulate sales highly colored literature supposedly descriptive of the climate and resources of southern california was scattered broadcast all over the united states and even over europe of the means employed locally to attract prospective buyers j m gwynne who lived through the boom period and saw in person the spectacular features of the craze thus wrote quote, the methods of advertising the attractions of the various tracts subdivisions and town sites thrown on the market and the devices resorted to to inveigle purchasers into investing were various often ingenious and sometimes infamous brass bands street processions free excursions and free lunches columns of advertisements rich in description and profuse in promises that were never intended to be fulfilled pictures of massive hotels in the course of erection lithographs of colleges about to materialize lotteries the prizes in which were handsome residences or family hotels railroads that began and ended in the imaginations of the projectors 
such were a few of the many devices resorted to to attract purchasers and induce them to invest their coin under the stimulus of such advertising los angeles lots rose from five hundred dollars in eighteen eighty six to five thousand the next year and nearby ranch lands increased fourteen and fifteen hundred per cent during the same period vast tracts formerly used for grain fields or sheep pastures were subdivided into town lots and sold at an unheard-of profit along the line of the santa fe railroad from los angeles to the san bernardino county line a distance of thirty-six miles twenty-five of these boom towns were started before the close of eighteen eighty seven most of these particular towns after years of struggle to live down their sinister origin have since become flourishing communities but many of their contemporaries suffered a cruel fate some even died a morning and no wonder they were laid out on mountainsides in the sandy washes of the san gabriel river on rocky sterile brushlands without water or any other requisite of habitation and even on the dry wastes of the mojave desert wherever indeed the imagination of an ingenious and unscrupulous agent could conceive a town there one was established at least on paper and lots literally sold by the thousands of the fate of these phantom towns the following paragraph of j m gwynne gives an apt account Quote, from a report compiled for the los angeles county board of equalization in july eighteen eighty nine i find the area included in sixty towns all of which were laid out since january first eighteen eighty seven estimated at seventy nine thousand three hundred and fifty acres the total population of these sixty towns at that time eighteen eighty nine was placed at three thousand three hundred and fifty some of the largest of these on paper were without inhabitants carleton containing four thousand and sixty lots was an unpeopled waste nadeau four thousand four hundred and seventy lots had no inhabitants manchester two thousand three hundred and four lots no inhabitants santiago two thousand one hundred and ten lots was a deserted village others still contained a small remnant of their former population chicago park containing two thousand two hundred and eighty nine lots had one inhabitant the watchman who took care of its leading hotel sunset two thousand fourteen lots one inhabitant the watchman of an expensive hotel which was in the course of construction when the boom burst the sites of a majority of the boom cities of twenty years ago have been returned to acreage the plowshare has passed over their ruins and barley grows in the deserted streets the early part of eighteen eighty eight marked the beginning of the end of the great boom prices fell even more rapidly than they had risen the bands barbecues free excursions glib auctioneers and crowds of dupes and speculators disappeared leaving southern california after a somewhat painful readjustment of its affairs to settle down into a less spectacular but much sounder period of development in the meantime the state as a whole had continued its steady growth in the decade from eighteen eighty to eighteen ninety the population rose from approximately eight hundred and sixty five thousand to one million two hundred and thirteen thousand three hundred and ninety eight between eighteen ninety and nineteen hundred the increase was much less marked 
and the census of the later years showed a population of only 1,485,053. Within the next ten years, however, immigration from the east set in on a larger scale than ever before, and by 1910 there were 2,377,549 persons living within the state. An even greater increase took place within the next decade, and the federal census of 1920 showed a population of 3,426,861. The increase of population from 1850 to 1920, approximately 3,600 percent, has been accompanied by a commensurate development of the state's economic resources. Most fundamental of these is the progress made in agriculture. In this industry, the state has passed through three stages, the pastoral area of the Spanish-Mexican regime, when cattle and sheep were almost the sole basis of wealth, was superseded shortly after American occupation by the supremacy of the grain ranches. These stretched from mile upon mile through the great Sacramento and San Joaquin valleys and along the arable coastlands between Bodega and San Diego. With the coming of the railroads, the development of irrigation, and the opening of eastern markets to California products, the grain ranches in turn gave place to fruit orchards, vineyards, alfalfa fields, truck gardens, and all the varied branches of agriculture which today flourish in the state. The early experiments of mission priests and Spanish colonists showed the wonderful congeniality of the soil and climate of California for the production of oranges, grapes, and deciduous fruits of almost every kind, and, as already indicated, sometime after American occupation, fruit orchards and vineyards began to be planted for commercial purposes. Grapes were grown, at first chiefly for the manufacture of wines and brandies. Vast tracts were set to vineyards all over the state, and the wine industry became a widely advertised feature of California life. Table grapes were also grown in a smaller way, but until a much later date, the raisin industry was represented only by the so-called dried grapes of little flavor and slight commercial value. Today, however, the production of table grapes and raisins has become one of the chief industries of the state. The central part of the San Joaquin Valley is preeminently the raisin section of California, and here, of late years especially, vineyard lands have risen surprisingly in value. Of deciduous fruits produced in California, there is almost no limit in quantity or variety. Thanks to the refrigerator car, much of the yearly crop can now be shipped to eastern markets in its natural form. But by far the larger part of the yield is either dried or canned. No section of the state can claim a monopoly of the deciduous industry, but the peach orchards of the San Joaquin Valley, the prune orchards of Santa Clara, the apricot orchards of Ventura, the apples of Watsonville and Yucaipa, the cherries of Vacaville, the pears of Antelope Valley, and the figs of Fresno and Tulare have acquired something more than ordinary reputation. One of the most valuable, and certainly the most distinctive branch of agriculture in California, is the citrus industry. Owing to climatic conditions, the production of oranges and lemons is confined almost entirely to certain favored sections of Southern California, with the lindsay Portoville, exeter region of the San Joaquin Valley occupying a place of less importance. The history of the citrus industry, interesting and significant as it has been, 
cannot be traced here at any length. Two outstanding features in its development, however, should at least be mentioned. One of these was the introduction of the Washington Naval in 1873. This, a seedless orange imported from Brazil by the United States Department of Agriculture, almost immediately found favor in California and soon displaced the seedling varieties of fruit previously in common use. For many years, the Washington Naval and the so-called Valencia Late have furnished the overwhelming bulk of the orange crop of the state. The second outstanding event in the history of the citrus industry, and without doubt the most significant contribution yet made to agricultural progress by the state, was the formation in October 1895 of the Southern California Fruit Exchange. This organization, born of the dire necessity experienced in the early years of finding some method of protection against the ruinous charges of commission agents and high freight rates, was established on a purely cooperative basis among the orange and lemon growers of Southern California. In 1905, the field of the organization was widened, and it took the name of the California Fruit Growers Exchange. Originally designed as a shipping and marketing agency, the exchange, as it is commonly known to its members, is today active in every department of the business. The intelligent cooperation and business efficiency which made its early success possible in the face of many difficulties and discouragements have continued to mark its progress. Until today, the organization enjoys an international reputation as the most highly developed and successful enterprise of its kind in the world. Footnote. The exchange today handles 75% of the citrus production of California, and its nationally advertised sun-kissed brand of oranges and lemons has become a household word throughout the United States. In footnote. The California Fruit Growers Exchange, moreover, not only made possible the success of the citrus industry of California, but also pioneered the way by which almost every other branch of agriculture in California has been lifted to a new level. Thus, the grape growers have a similarly efficient and powerful organization known as the California Associated Raisin Company. Other organizations of a kindred nature have been affected among the peach growers of the state, among the prune and apricot ranchers, and among the producers of walnuts and almonds. Vegetable and melon growers, dairymen and poultrymen in certain localities have also organized their mutual associations along similar lines. Until it may be said without danger of exaggeration that cooperative enterprise has become one of the chief secrets of California's recent phenomenal agricultural development. Another feature of the state's agricultural progress has been the steadily increasing emphasis upon the application of science to farm problems. The state university, through its many agricultural departments, has done much in this direction. The state agricultural society and the United States government have also contributed largely to the advance of the industry in California. In special fields, such as that of the citrus industry, the powerful cooperative organizations already spoken of have developed unusually successful departments of investigation and research for the benefit of their members. Some 16 local farm magazines of a special or general nature also contribute their quota to the advance of agricultural knowledge. 
many rural high schools have special departments for the teaching of animal husbandry the operation and care of farm machinery the selection of seed and kindred subjects counties have their commissioners of horticulture and there are also county farm advisers supported at public expense to advise with any rancher who may need their services and to study the local needs of their particular districts in a word ranching in california as in other progressive states has been brought to the level of a highly specialized and skilled business another feature of permanent significance in the state's agricultural progress has been the successful experimentation with new fruits and crops the avocado industry for example though still in its beginning promises to develop into one of the most distinctive and valuable forms of horticulture in southern california long before california became a state the adaptability of its soil and climate to cotton and rice growing has been pointed out yet neither of these great staples was produced in commercial quantity until very recent years since 1910, however, vast areas of the Imperial Valley and the San Joaquin have been planted to cotton, and the value of the crop is annually over $15 million. Rice culture, similarly, has suddenly assumed a place of first importance in the Sacramento and lower San Joaquin Valleys, and California has become the second rice-producing state in the Union. The sugar beet industry, though much older than cotton or rice production in California, was still in the experimental stage as late as 1890, and only since 1900 has it risen to first-rank proportions. Bean culture has also become a distinctive California industry in recent years, and in 1918 the crop was valued at nearly $50 million. Truck gardening, for eastern as well as for local markets, has similarly been a matter of recent growth. And today, vegetables from the Imperial, San Gabriel, San Fernando, Lower San Joaquin, and Sacramento Valleys, as well as from a dozen other favored sections in the state, not only supply the local needs of over three million people and the demands of dozens of great canneries, but also go, literally by the hundreds of trainloads, to the tables of the Atlantic Seaboard and the Mississippi Valley. The cantaloupe industry, especially in the Imperial Valley and the Turlock district of the San Joaquin, has assumed astonishing proportions within the last decade, and in 1920, 13,000 carloads were shipped to eastern markets. Dairying, the production of thoroughbred cattle and hogs, and the raising of poultry are also becoming of increasing importance year by year. The last-named industry, especially, has enabled many people of small means to find an independent livelihood who otherwise would have been forced to join the ranks of the clerks or wage earners in the cities. The large-scale production of these varied types of agricultural products has been paralleled by the reclamation of great areas of swamp and overflow land, notably in the lower Sacramento and San Joaquin basins, and of even larger areas of arid or desert land by the drilling of wells and the building of irrigation works. The history of this feature of the state's development is too long to be told in this volume, but mention must at least be made of the most noteworthy enterprise of this kind in recent years. When, a hundred and fifty years ago, the old Spanish colonizing expeditions crossed the Colorado River into Alta California, they found themselves in a region of sandy wastes, destitute of water, covered only with the grotesque flora of the desert, 
and, if the crossing were attempted in the summer, almost unbearably hot for man and beast. Three-quarters of a century later, when Kearney's forces entered California from New Mexico, they found the same weary land of sand and heat stretching before them, from the Colorado to the San Diego Mountains. The following paragraph, written by Colonel Emery in 1846, is faintly descriptive of the region over which the American soldiers toiled so many years ago. Quote, the desert over which we had passed, ninety miles from water to water, is an immense triangular plain bounded on one side by the Colorado, on the west by the Cordilleras of California, the coast chain of mountains which now encircle us, and on the northwest by a chain of mountains running southeast and northwest. It is chiefly covered with floating sand, the surface of which, in various places, is white with diminutive spinellas, and everywhere over the whole surface is found a large and soft mussel shell. A certain Dr. Wozencraft, United States Indian agent at San Francisco from 1850 to 1860, became the first enthusiast for the development of the region, which he first visited in 1849, and afterwards described with a certain pardonable exaggeration as the most formidable of all deserts on the continent. Wozencraft labored from 1850 to 1888 to carry out his ambition, and at one time, 1859, succeeded in securing from the California legislature a grant to all state lands in the basin, providing his reclamation plan should be effected. Congress apparently was disposed to take similar favorable action when the outbreak of the Civil War ended the proposed legislation. The construction of the Southern Pacific Railway from Los Angeles to New Orleans by way of the San Gorgonio Pass and Fort Yuma stimulated a new interest in the desert region through which the line ran for so much of its course. Early in the 90s, a young engineer named C.R. Rockwood became interested in the diversion of water from the Colorado for the irrigation of the land west of the river and succeeded in enlisting some financial support. By 1896, considerable preliminary survey work had been accomplished, and a corporation known as the California Development Company had been organized under the laws of New Jersey, with A. H. Heber as its president. For four years, this company made little progress toward obtaining the capital necessary for the success of its enterprise. But in 1900, George Chafee, a noted engineer and capitalist of Southern California, became actively concerned with the project, and under his management, the irrigation of the valley was finally begun in the spring of 1901. The magnitude and novelty of reclaiming a desert by diverting the waters of a great river appealed to the American imagination so that wide publicity was immediately given to the imperial undertaking. Colonists, sightseers, and speculators began to visit the valley in considerable number and despite financial difficulties on the part of the California Development Company and internal friction among its directors, coupled with a most unfavorable report on the agricultural possibilities of the valley by the United States Department of Agriculture, a fair-sized boom was in progress by 1903. The development of the valley, though hindered by many factors, especially the uncertainty of boundary lines and land titles, continued without serious interruption until the great floods of 1906. 
In that year, the Colorado almost bodily left its old outlet to the Gulf, cut a new channel through the heart of the Imperial Valley, and poured its waters into the vast inland sink since known as Salton Sea. For many dangerous weeks, the rising waters threatened to engulf the ranches and settlements of the valley, and destruction seemed to await the whole imperial project. The closing of the breach through which the river had escaped was a task of too great magnitude for the California Development Company or the settlers of the valley. The aid of the federal government and the full strength of the Southern Pacific Railroad, whose through line east was menaced by the runway river, was accordingly given to meet the emergency. Fortunately, in the person of Eppes Randolph, one of the genuine pioneer railroad builders of the Southwest, a man was found capable of dealing with the situation. The struggle went desperately on during the summer and fall of 1906, while the people of the valley waited with deep anxiety the advent of the winter and spring floods. Twice at least, when the rains came earlier than had been expected, the Colorado got beyond control. But in February 1907, the last break was closed, and the river resumed its fretful way to the Gulf. Once released from the menace of the Colorado, the Imperial Valley underwent a transformation tritely spoken of as amazing. The fertility of the soil, coupled with the intense heat of the summers and the mild winter climate, produced enormous crops of almost every variety. Barley, sorghum, milo, maize, and alfalfa, early vegetables such as lettuce, tomatoes, and peas, cotton, corn, cattle, and hogs, milk, butter, eggs, and turkeys for the Thanksgiving and Christmas markets, grapes that ripen before the frost is well out of the ground in New England, and a cantaloupe harvest so large that a day's pick from a single shipping center often fills 200 freight cars. Such today are the products of Imperial Valley, where two short decades or a little more ago were only desert waste and sand. Though occupying a much less spectacular position in California's economic life than at an earlier time, mining has consistently remained one of the state's important industries since the great gold era of 1849. At present, there are approximately 50 minerals developed on a commercial scale, but the production of gold, chiefly by quartz mining and dredging, remains the most important feature of the industry, if petroleum be excluded. Silver, quicksilver, copper, borax, cement, and building stone are also produced in considerable quantities. The lumber industry, which very early in the history of the state became one of its important assets, remains today a characteristic feature of California's economic life. The industry is localized chiefly in the Sierra Nevada mountains of central and northern California, and in the coast counties north of the Russian River. The world's supply of commercial redwood, a beautiful decay-resisting timber, comes from the four counties of Santa Cruz, Humboldt, Mendocino, and Del Norte. The redwood cut equals nearly 500 million board feet a year. Next comes western yellow pine, with an annual production of about 400 million feet. Douglas fir, about 225 million feet. Sugar pine and white fir, nearly 125 million feet each. And cedar, spruce, and other minor woods sufficient to raise the total annual output to over 1,500,000,000 board feet. 
one of the great natural resources has been denied to california the state has no known coal deposits of any magnitude this lack of fuel for a long time proved a serious handicap to the development of cheap and efficient transportation and to the establishment of important manufactures two other agencies however the one especially in comparatively recent times have been drawn upon to make up for this deficiency of coal these are petroleum and hydroelectric energy the history of the petroleum industry in california fascinating as it is must be passed by with only a meagre and unsatisfactory reference oil exudes were found near los angeles over a hundred years ago and the asphaltum which they produced was made use of to cover the roofs of early spanish california houses the beginning of commercial production of petroleum in the pennsylvania fields drew some attention in the early sixties to the possibilities of developing these oil deposits in california and about this time the first commercial production is said to have been obtained in pico canyon near the present town of newhall but no important development took place until the late seventies thomas r bard afterwards the united states senator from california lyman stewart now chairman of the board of directors of the union oil company and w l hardison were among the most important pioneers in the industry early in the nineties e l doheny now prominently identified with petroleum development in mexico and his partner c a canfield began the production of oil in the los angeles fields by sinking a shaft with pick shovel and windlass on a plot of ground near the western boundary of the city in those early years petroleum was valuable chiefly for the manufacture of kerosene and axle grease then the possibility of using crude oil for fuel became known and some time later it began to be used on locomotives instead of coal from an economic standpoint this was an invaluable aid to the development of transportation in california for the oil-burning locomotives solved the expensive and perplexing fuel problem of the railroads since the ever-increasing demand for gasoline and lubricants caused by the growth of the automobile industry and the larger use of crude petroleum for fuel and transportation and manufacturing the oil deposits of california have become one of the state's greatest assets the chief producing fields lie in Kern, Orange, Fresno, Los Angeles, Santa Barbara, and Ventura counties. The development of hydroelectric power, which is said to have been begun in California by the Chafee Brothers of Ontario in 1882, has come to be, especially in the last decade, one of the outstanding features of the state's new industrial life. The Sierra Nevada Mountains, with their abundant snows and never-failing streams, furnish a vast storehouse of power upon which the state can draw for its future industrial and transportation needs. Many of the largest rivers of the state, such as the Pitt, Klamath, Feather, San Joaquin, Kings, Kern, and Owens, have already been partially harnessed and made to furnish light and power for the cities, homes, street railways, manufacturing plants, and irrigation works in the valleys below. Most of this development has been carried on by a few large public utility corporations, of which the Southern California Edison, the Pacific Gas and Electric, the San Joaquin Light and Power, the Western States Electric, and the Southern Sierras Power Company are the most important. 
but the cities of los angeles and san francisco have also entered the hydroelectric field los angeles has centered its activities in the owens river valley and along the two hundred and thirty mile aqueduct which carries the water of that stream to the city in nineteen twenty the municipal power plants were producing close to eighty five thousand horsepower and the city was definitely committed to the policy of generating and distributing its own electric energy san francisco though not as yet actually supplying its citizens with lighter power has undertaken to build an aqueduct from the hetch hetchy valley which lies some distance above yosemite to secure an adequate water supply and will shortly have its power plants in operation as an integral part of that enterprise in nineteen twenty the hydroelectric plants of california supplied approximately one million horsepower but this marks only the beginning of the industry and probably represents less than one-fourth of the state's potential capacity an estimate which does not include the vast resources of the colorado river to which southern california is already looking as an additional source of power the use of petroleum and the development of hydroelectric energy as already indicated have in recent years made possible the creation of an industrial life formerly regarded as impossible for california other factors such as an abundant supply of raw materials shipping and transportation facilities ever-widening markets favorable conditions of labor and for labor and the rare advantages offered by nature in the way of climate have also played an important part in this new feature of the state's economic life the results of the federal census of nineteen twenty are not yet available in detail for an adequate survey of california's industrial growth since nineteen ten sufficient material however is at hand to show at least the broad features of this progress in eighteen ninety nine california had four thousand nine hundred ninety seven manufacturing establishments which employed seventy two thousand two hundred twenty four persons and represented a capital investment of one hundred seventy five million four hundred sixty eight thousand dollars with a total output valued at two hundred fifty seven million three hundred eighty six thousand dollars in nineteen fourteen there were ten thousand fifty seven establishments employing one hundred thirty nine thousand four hundred eighty one persons representing a capital investment of seven hundred and thirty six million one hundred six thousand dollars and having a total output of seven hundred twelve million eight hundred one thousand dollars according to the preliminary figures of nineteen nineteen the number of establishments had risen in that year to eleven thousand nine hundred forty two and the number of persons employed to two hundred and forty three thousand a total of one billion three hundred and thirty three million three hundred eighty two thousand dollars was invested in california manufacturers and the value of the yearly production came to one billion nine hundred eighty one million four hundred and ten thousand dollars or an increase of approximately six thousand seven hundred percent in twenty years the development of transportation facilities has kept pace with the industrial and agricultural progress of the state the history of the steam railroad building has already been dwelt upon in previous chapters and need not be repeated here nearly three thousand miles of electric road are also now in operation in california serving the local needs of the chief cities and the demands of interurban transportation chief of these citizens is that of the pacific electric railway company 
originally built by henry e huntington but now a subsidiary of the southern pacific company this line with its center in los angeles has not only knit the surrounding cities into a compact community with a larger city made possible the upbuilding of hundreds of square miles of rural territory and furnished easy access to the beaches and mountains for the city's population but has also prevented perhaps as much as any other agency the development of a congested tenement and slum district in los angeles by enabling the wage earner and small salaried man to own his own home in one of the many subdivisions which have sprung up along the company's various lines passenger and commercial automobiles it is a truism to remark have also worked revolution in the development of transportation throughout the state the two thousand eight hundred miles of paved highways in california had become a great drawing card for the eastern tourist they have also furnished the means for developing a huge freight and passenger business by means of automobile trucks and commercial stages best of all they have encouraged travel among the people of the state and thereby vastly widened the horizons of pleasure added to culture strengthened the spirit of unity and bred an appreciation deeper than ever before of california's resources beauty and charm with the state's material progress along other lines there is no space to deal and only a few bare figures can be used to sum up the results of this great economic advance in nineteen twenty the five wealthiest counties of the state in order named were los angeles with an assessed valuation of one billion two hundred and seventy five million seven hundred and fifty one thousand san francisco city and county eight hundred and eighteen million seventy four thousand alameda three hundred and two million six hundred and forty nine thousand fresno one hundred and sixty nine million four hundred and twenty six thousand and sacramento one hundred thirty million one hundred sixty two thousand dollars bank assets totaled two billion four hundred forty million four hundred eighty seven thousand dollars exports and imports to the value of four hundred and eighty seven million dollars passed through the chief ports among the states of the union california ranked eighth in population fifth in banking capital fourth in general agriculture fell a few thousand barrels short of holding her accustomed first place in the petroleum industry and surpassed all her competitors in the output of gold and horticultural products as one scans the figures cited in this chapter his mind recalls the old predictions of william shaler richard henry dana waddy thompson thomas o larkin and the other early prophets of california's future yet today's prosperity and achievements surpass the destiny these enthusiasts foretold the californian in very truth is a citizen of no mean state. End of chapter 29